0: You actually don't need a script to sell a TV show. If you're curious enough, anybody's life is interesting. The biggest thing that stops people is perfectionism. Like, oh, I wrote that, it's not so good. Or, oh, nothing I'm going to write is good. The best way to get over that is to set a timer and write. You know, when we go into the pitch meeting, you don't need to go in with everything like stunning and perfect and done. We started with realizing how fear can be used as a trigger for flow state.
1: Every time I face a difficulty, I'm like, okay, there's a gift in this somewhere. It's like an alchemist perspective to see purpose in the pain. What's up everybody, my name is Brazil and welcome back to the podcast. Today I have an episode that's gonna be very useful for you because on all of our episodes we talk to people about how they've achieved their dreams, how they've made it happen, but not everybody that makes their dreams come true can necessarily teach you how to make your dreams come true. But today's guest can. Adrian is an actor, is a producer, is a director, is a screenwriter, and is also teaching people how to get their shows on TV. So she's actually somebody who does it and teaches it. So maybe this episode will be the one that will help you take your dream to the next level. What's up?
0: What's up? Oh my gosh, take you with me everywhere. (laughs) Tell people who
1: I am. What would you say is the number one thing you want to help people with?
0: I mean, I think the name of my course says it all, how to actually sell a TV show organically. I think there are so many classes out there about how to write a script and that's great and that's so important, but there is not a lot of information about how to Actually, sell the show and how to do it in a way that doesn't feel like scammy or weird. Right? Um, you know, I think a lot of people have a contact that they don't want to approach or don't want to bother, or they have no contacts and have no idea how to get their pitch seen. And so, I want to give people information so that they have both the content they need to sell a show and the relationships that they need, not only to get that show sold, but to sell other shows in the future. So ah. it's about teaching someone how to fish, you know, not just giving them a fish, you wanna teach them how to fish so they can do it over and over and over again.
1: And, and like you said, not just to write the script, but to get it made,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. many
1: people probably have great scripts sitting around in a closet somewhere. But does it actually come to fruition?
0: Exactly. Like, how do you get the team so that you get paid for it?
1: What is, the, what is the biggest obstacles that people aren't aware of to getting... Let's say if somebody's sitting here saying, you know what? I actually have a great script.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I have a great script.
0: Great.
1: Now, what's standing in my way?
0: Um... I think the biggest thing standing in your way, if you have a great script, is getting someone to read that script, mm. right? Because you're asking for someone, you know, if it's a pilot script that's thirty pages, if it's a comedy, it's you know sixty pages, if it's long form, it's longer than that. If it's a movie script, right? And you're in a time where people are inundated with scripts, right? You're
1: not the only one. They're tra- you're not they the have only one it. who
0: wrote the yeah. script. So if you don't have a way to succinctly communicate what makes your story special, why they have to read that script, you're just not going to get any traction. If you don't know how to outreach to people so that they read your script, you could have the best script in the world, but it doesn't matter if nobody knows about it.
1: Right. Now, let's say you get somebody to read it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What are the other things that stand standing away from it than getting made? Because okay. Let's say somebody reads it and that person likes it. But doesn't it take a whole system to approve a TV show?
0: It does. It does take a whole system to approve a TV show. But I'll also say you actually don't need a script to sell a TV show. Really? Really. I have sold, let's see. Well, okay. I'm like trying to think of how many of the things I've sold didn't even have a script. But the reason that is, is because ideally you get paid to write the script.
1: Oh, so, so you pitch the idea you for the pitch show. Hitch the
0: idea for the show. So now this is different depending on what kind of creative you are and what role you want in your show, right? So if you're a writer, you want to be the writer of the show, then you need to have a script to show that you can write, to show that you have the skills, to show that you can, you know, do the arc, do the characters, do all the things. Right. But actually, you're getting your ideal is to get paid to write the script. So you have a pitch and then a sample of the kind of writing you can do. And then you say, now pay me to write this story that I have pitched you. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. And then now, as an actor, let's say you're an actor, you're not a writer. So you don't need to write a script. What you need to do is build the team. You need to find a writer. And so maybe they'll be part of the pitch process. Or if you can get a good relationship with a production company, you can pitch to the production company and then they have writers who they've worked with in the past, who they wanna work with. Yeah. And so you start building out your team. So when you really think about, okay, what am I bringing to this project? You can build a team to fill in those other spots. Right. And I think that's, going back to your earlier question, I think that's the big mistake a lot of people make is that they think they have to do everything. Ah. You don't gotta do everything. You gotta figure out what's the unique thing that you bring to the table. And it might be your authentic voice. It might be that you know the story in a way that no one else does. It might be that you know a story that hasn't been told before. That's value. So if you can, around that authentic story, start to build a team of a writer who really gets it and who can help articulate in that structured ways that maybe if you haven't written a script before, you don't know how to do. If you can get the um, executive producer that has experience and that has relationships on board. Um, If you can get someone who's, you know, I don't know, a bit like some sort of piece of intellectual property that has a known audience, then you have a package, right? And then that's a lot easier to get moving and sold. So I look at it that way as opposed to just a script. Now, like I said, if you're a writer and you wanna be the writer on the show, you do need at least one script that shows that you can execute. Got it. But you don't necessarily need the script for the show that you wanna sell.
1: That makes sense. Wow, and when people are, are- making these shows are there certain categories of shows that are needed like for example if there's already a poppin cop buddy tv show mm-hmm. they're not probably looking for another one
0: right well, that's that's interesting so generally and it also depends on who you're pitching to right right so one thing i like to point out is that not all pitches are the same not who let me let me say that differently. <laughs> not all people that you're pitching to are the same. Not all buyers are the same, right? Right. So usually early on you'll pitch to a production company or someone who has an overall deal. Now, after the strike, I think overalls are going away for the most part. So what was an overall
1: deal for so those who don't know? Overall like
0: deal was where um, one particular studio or network would offer an executive producer like, here, we're gonna pay you this amount and your job is just to bring us ideas. So they don't take their ideas to other studios, generally. They were paid like a flat fee
1: to- To go find great ideas, find and, great bring ideas them. and
0: bring them in, right. Okay. So, um, a lot of times they got called golden handcuffs because you, mm. you, know, you, you could only have shows go forward at the studio that you had the overall with. Got it. Um, so after the strike, it's, it's not clear if people are going to be having overalls as much anymore. Okay. Um, but for a time, that was, a, that was one way to get something sold was to take it to someone who had an overall because it was their whole job to be bringing ideas.
1: I keep imagining somebody network. wearing overalls <laughs> every time you say that. <laughs> well,
0: I get more into it in my course and the image in the course is someone in overalls. <laughs> um, and I don't want to get too... Do you remember what your question was? Because like, I don't want to get too far off it.
1: Oh, about uh, are the buyers. Are, do they have certain categories <gasps> that they're looking for? Yes.
0: Okay, okay. So um, the short answer is like a studio or a network will generally have some sort of... Someone at the top will say, we're looking for a lot of... I don't know, like international dramas right now. Like this spy thriller is doing really well. Can we see if we can get other spy thrillers?
1: Got it. And so there's always some kind of uh, in the moment demand for certain kinds of stories. Yes. But that's I, happening regardless of what you're creating. Exactly. They're looking for certain things. You might give them something that they're not looking for and they might love it, mm-hmm. but they are looking for certain categories at any given time.
0: Yes. And now I'll point out two stories that I think <clears> are really helpful to to... Think about this Kay. now. Shonda Rhimes, uh, in her, she does a masterclass, yeah. and she talks about how the first like pilot that she got written—I don't know if it was sold or not—but it didn't end up going forward. It was about um, war correspondents. Uh, it was about female war correspondents who were like hard drinking and like do a thing and like great. Um, but when she took it out, people were like, were no no one was looking for it at the time. She was like, okay, what are you looking for? They're like, we want like a soapy medical drama. She's like, you want soapy medical drama? I got you, baby. And she wrote Grey's Anatomy and pitched it and wow. like responded to what the market wanted. Amazing. Um, but she did it in her own voice, which I think was important. Um, I, the first show I sold was um, called How to Be a White Guy. And it was uh, somewhat based on the experience of myself and my writing partner at the time and trying to move projects forward and like kind of getting uh, waylaid and that one of our projects ended up getting given to a white guy basically. So we like kind of wrote a show about it. Um, So that came more from our personal experience. So all that is to say that responding to market forces can be really helpful. And yet having something specific to you is also really helpful. And I find that you know, that show that I sold, the first show we sold didn't end up going forward, but it ended up building the relationships that I needed to be able to sell things much more quickly as I went on. So, so people I'm a can big, buy a
1: show without making it.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. It happens all the time. Um, and so that's the biggest thing. I feel like oftentimes for a first show, it's good to do something from your own story in your own voice, because that's how you're gonna build the relationships. And right. then once you have the relationships, you'll have the relationship to say, hey, what are you guys looking for? And they'll say this, you're like, that baby. So I, you, you already think know it's better
1: voice. to go get in the door with your original idea? I absolutely
0: do. I really do. Um, I think that's just my opinion. I think there are a thousand ways to sure. peel a potato. Yeah, but so, we're
1: here to hear your opinion. In My
0: opinion. I, yeah. I'm all about the authenticity. That's the thing that you bring to the table that no one else can bring. So I'm a big fan of tapping into that, especially to build the relationships because then the right opportunities are going to come to you because they know your authentic voice because wow. people know who you are.
1: Now, most people that pitch shows that get bought, are they traditionally writers? Or do you see a lot of people that aren't writers, they just have a great idea, they get a lot of shows sold?
0: Hmm, Hmm. let me, you know, I think that's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. I think a lot of people who start with making a pitch, whether or not they're a writer, a lot of times they get to know their show so well that they think, they decide, Oh, actually, I could write this. Like, I thought I wasn't a writer. Like, I'm an actor and I've been on all these TV shows. But actually, now I know this story. Now I know these characters. Now that I've blocked out these beats, wait a second. I can write this. Yeah. I think that happens a lot. Got it. That when you get to know your pitch really well, you might decide, oh, actually, I'll write this. But I also think it's fine to again just be someone who's like, I'm gonna be the idea, I'm gonna have this great pitch and use the pitch to get the writer on board and then build the pitch out further with the writer. And then use that in the bar to get the executive producer on board. So you can you can build out according to what you
1: Yeah, have you gotta start to. with what you have. Whatever exactly. you have, you have. Yeah. But the one thing that really sticks out to me is what you're saying about writing what you know. And it's funny because sometimes the simplest advice we heard way back in the day, Mm -hmm. and then we try to stray away from it, say, no, 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 it must be something else. Just to circle back around to the simplicity of write what you know, write your story. Mm -hmm. Like even with my podcast and stuff I create, a lot of times I've created productions for other people that I thought were these big jazzy productions. But then when I just make my stuff, it's just about me and skaters and the little quirky things that I like. It gets the best response from people. They're like, I love that thing you did. I'm like, oh, that thing? That's just me fucking around. But it just feels so authentic.
0: Exactly. And, you know, that's the best piece of advice I got. So um, my writing partner and I, uh, we when we sold that show, we got paired with an experienced exec producer, okay, um, Chris Case. And the best piece of advice Chris ever gave me was that, you know, when we go into the pitch meeting, you don't need to go in with everything like stunning and perfect and done. You want to go in so that it's a conversation. You want it to feel loose. You want to feel mm. like you're building something together so that you're both invested in it as opposed to here's this perfect done thing that I'm presenting to you. Because
1: right then they, they could judge that perfect thing. Uh-huh. But if you give them something that's like a work in progress, mm-hmm. they could see how they could fill it in.
0: Exactly. And they want to fill it in, especially if you're pitching to a production company. They want to develop it with you. It's very rare that they're like just going to say, oh, okay, that's perfect. Let's take it out. They're going to say, oh, I like this character. Can we develop this world a little bit more? Oh, it's set in Seattle. Actually, what if it were in New York? Like, all of this kind of stuff. So... When you go in and it feel, you know, you get to have that kismet because it's something you're doing together as opposed to this locked thing that's done. Yes. That's, I find where the magic happens.
1: That worked with me for music videos too. Most of the music video pitches I did were verbal with the artists. And it was just like, I just tell them what I have and then they felt bought into it. And mm-hmm. then we collaborated with it. Very rarely do I they say, ta-da. Mm-hmm. Full pitch. Usually after they hire me for the music video, then I get a more detailed shot list. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, normally in the music video industry, they expect you to make this perfect pitch. And I'm like, that's a waste of time. Yeah. Most of the times they just steal your idea and give it to the director. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I've see.
1: had that happen on-
0: Oh, that's frustrating. videos,
1: yeah. <sighs> Where they're like, oh, we like your idea, but we'll go with somebody else more experienced. And the next thing you know, their video looks oddly similar to mine. I'm like, oh.
0: Oh my god!
1: Yeah, but I like what you're saying though that that it's also you're getting them when somebody's invested into something they feel more a part of it. They mm-hmm. they want it to succeed if at least ten percent of the ideas are theirs as well, mm, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. They have that level of investment, and and you know, it's frankly, it's a little bit less work. <laughs> It's like, oh, this, I am more effective when I have done a little bit less. Now, that's not to say you might do the full, you might create the full pitch and have it so that you have answers or like so it's easy to spitball and just have things ready to go. Right. But having sort of a trimmed down version that you can like, you can, you know, suss in the moment and go off what is happening in the room. I find that's when the really big magic happens.
1: Wow! Now, what got you into teaching this? Because at, at one point you weren't a teacher; you were just doing it.
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question, and I'll give you the I'll give you two answers to it because okay. there's the there's the um, the technical answer, and then there's the soulful answer. And you know, I like authentic, so we go and do both. Yes. Um, the technical answer is. Uh, I have taught other things before, so that's just in my skill set. Like right after I graduated college, actually went to Korea, where I taught at a at a um, a hagwon, which is a place. It's sort of like a like an after school program. So I would help kids get ready to apply to if they wanted to go to American colleges. Oh wow! Uh, so and I found that I liked. There are a lot of things I didn't like about teaching. I didn't like making lesson plans, but I really liked connecting with people who wanted to know more. Yes. Like I loved seeing people grow and transform and get to know themselves better, yes. and be able to articulate, because that's what really what college essays are. Like, how do you tell who you are in the short space of someone who hasn't met you? And
1: you're a hunger for growth.
0: Exactly, yeah. hungry for growth, hungry to take the next step. And so I really liked that about, about tutoring. Uh, so for a long time, I th- I. Th- Thought about teaching an online course. I was like, I like teaching. I like helping people do that. Like, what, when's going to be the right place and what'll be the right way to do that? Um, and then the 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 soulful answer is, so uh, I think in. T- uh, I forget, like, what is time after the pandemic? There came a point where my writing partner and I decided to part ways, okay. lovingly. Like we had, um, it just felt like the Venn diagram of what had <laughs> interested us both had been moving apart for a while. Yeah. But I found that after we parted ways, I had writer's block because I was so used to getting approval from another person to move forward. That
1: feedback, that, 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 yeah. That
0: instant feedback. Um, and great instant feedback. Like, she's a wonderful partner. But I, I didn't yet know what my voice was by myself. So I suddenly had this period where I was like, well, I I don't know my writing process anymore, but I have all this information. I know I can help other people figure this out. Yeah. So I thought... I'm a big believer that when there's a block in one area, that's time to put your attention somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So I started to think, okay, how can I be of service to the creative community while I navigate this for myself? Yeah, And in fact, I found in navigating, they they end up feeding each other, right? Yes. So I I built the course. I built how to actually sell a TV short organically. I did like a mini round of it as I was sort of figuring out what it was and how I could best help people. And then like a month or two after that I thought oh, I think I'm ready to write a pilot again. I'm gonna host a pilot writing sprint. So I did a five day, I wrote a pilot script in five days and I made space for other creatives to write a pilot script in five days as wow, well.
1: A pilot's a pilot sprint, huh?
0: A pilot sprint, exactly. And because what I found was that I love community. Like community, mm holds me accountable, it makes it fun. It can be so arduous to like go through the hard stuff of telling a story and telling it well. But what makes it fun is to do it with other people who are doing the same thing.
1: Yes, I'm the same way. The human interaction in creative projects helps the energy move along a lot.
0: Exactly, and so there was this amazing energy online and we all like, we wrote different, our own scripts, but we'd have these check-ins in the morning and check-ins in the evening. And so I just found, that, oh, as I put this together to help other people understand it, I start to understand my own magic so that I can recreate it faster every time. And when I invite community in, I get to enjoy it more. And they get to enjoy it more too. So again, I love, that's one of the big keys I teach in the course is that reciprocity is key. Like I grow from it and you grow from it. We get to grow together.
1: Yeah, and you probably get inspired by that too. And just seeing a project move along with other people. Yes. Triggers that energy to move along in yours as well. It's a collaborative competition almost. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And it's nice too because Again, it's different from my old partnership because it's not that someone's necessarily like writing it with me, but it is that someone is like giving. So I have more of the creative control, yes. but I still get to the the excitement and the fun and the play and the collaborativeness of having a community. Yeah, you're not
1: it. isolated fully. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's it's accountability. It, mm-hmm. It's accountability, but not in a constrained way. Exactly. Yeah, you're just yeah. checking in. You, you almost want to look, you look forward to wanting to give them good news. Yes. Like, hey, I, I wrote some amazing pages today. Like that's a, that's a good feeling to want to give yeah yeah
0: exactly and in the most recent round of the course um a bunch of people have been getting meetings with their dream showrunners, and we have like a chat together so just seeing the chat pop off every time like oh my god i got a meeting with this person or oh my god this thing just happened or like this agent is really psyched about my pitch it's just great it's like great to have community to move forward
1: that's beautiful. And how long have you been doing the courses for?
0: Uh, so that that very test round was last year. So this year was the first time we did the full three-month course. And now that's the course that I love to give. And I give people more than three months to actually execute it. But it's because, it, you know, we go deep. We do the work. Yeah. But it's three months of content that you can do at the pace that you want to do it.
1: So how does it work? So if somebody says, okay, I wanna sign up, is it an in-person thing? Is it a digital thing? Oh,
0: great question. So it's all online. I love Kajabi. Uh, That's where we do it. And so actually I'm doing a live free workshop, uh, December 7th, 9th and 11th. That is sort of like a little intro so that people Mm -hmm. who wanna taste, they can just do a free workshop. And then in that we get into the full breakdown and you know, if you want more help, if you want more support, if you want more community, it's like, come and do the course. to have you
1: and is the course just you telling them the concept of doing it or is it like now take time and write this about your background and now oh, how, oh like. yeah
0: no we have we i love it because we break it down into f- four kind of phases there's the roadmap which is sort of the overarching like you can see how i went from no contacts no no script not knowing anyone in hollywood how i went from that to selling my first show like i just take it step by step like how do you build each of the 8 steps to sell a tv show great Then from there, we do a section on the content, which is, okay, what documents do you need to sell a show? Mm. It depends on what role you want in the show. Like whether you need, everyone I think needs a one sheet, but some people need a script, some people don't. Some people need a pitch deck, some people don't. So I get into the specifics of like, depending on what you want to do, here's what you need in your pitch and here's what you need to get the pitch meeting. Yeah. Then we do a section on the relationships. So how do you build on relationships you already have? How do you start relationships from people you don't know, like cold contacts. So we get into that. So after all those overarching things, we have like, okay, you're real clear on what we're doing. Then we get into your pitch. And so in every week we address a different section of your pitch and we have writing sprints in there. So I find that the biggest thing that stops people is perfectionism. Like, oh, I wrote that, it's not so good. Or, oh, nothing I'm gonna write is good. The best way to get over that is to set a timer and write. Yes. Like, write with no, don't worry about grammar, don't worry about anything, just write.
1: Let it flow. Let, Let it, come it through flow.
0: You. And even if nothing's flowing, just write whatever is on your mind. Yeah. Because that's. Um Anne Lamott has this book called Bird by Bird, and she talks about shitty first drafts. And it Mm. has been the most freeing concept of, oh, I can just write a shitty first draft. So we help people write that shitty first draft, like get out of your own way and get it on the page. And then how do you hone it to make it amazing? And then how do you bring yourself to it so you're not like talking off a sheet? You're like connecting with a person and then how do you get that meeting with the right person for you so we do everything that you we walk you through every step so that you can actually know how to go from zero to sold show
1: i love that thank you i'm glad that this is out there
0: thank you me too
1: now when they take it you said it's a multi-month course is it because you you break it down week by week like Mm -hmm. here's a week's lesson now if somebody's ambitious if they want to move faster could they take yep they're all
0: pre-recorded so they could take it as quick as they want to
1: got it And is there like a community feature where they can talk to the other students?
0: Exactly. So there are, it depends on what tier, because I know there are some introverts who don't want no community. You want your blinders on. That's great. We have a tier for you. There's a tier that's, all right, I want a monthly check-in, but not a whole lot. We got a tier for you. And then we have a tier for people who are like, no, I want you with me week by week. I want the support. I want the coaching. Got a tier for you. So we have, depending on how much support people want, we want to meet people where they are.
1: That's the way of the future. Who needs film school when you got that?
0: Right? I'm like, I I just think that we are in a time where we can really look at how do we get to the core essential part of something and... Do that? How do we remove the bells and whistles that aren't serving us and might even be holding us back or like weighing us down with debt? Like, how yeah. do we get to what we actually need to do what we want to do and do what is in our purpose to do?
1: Yeah, because school and education are two different things.
0: Mm-hmm. We should always
1: be learning, but a mm-hmm. school is just a business, mm-hmm. like, a, like a burger joint. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they, they have some stuff and they charge you for it. And a lot of them, because of the way the government funds loans, they just fluff it up and fluff it up and fluff it up. And it's like, well, you're just charging to the charge. Mm-hmm. Like, how about you give me the actual answers? Like, <laughs> how, how do we actually mo- get the result? There's people that have bachelors in film that aren't doing shit.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There are so many schools. I think one of the most powerful things a school can have is a network. And then think about what if you have a network outside of the school? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what if you have a network of people who are actually doing the work right now alongside you? Yes. And that's not some distant thing in the future. It's happening right now and we're doing it right now. And we're getting it sold right now.
1: Exactly. And plus you learn more on the job. Yeah, like Cause you can read about swimming or you can jump in the ocean.
0: Exactly. Those are
1: two different things, you know? Like I, I love learning. I'm mm-hmm. learning all the time. I take online courses. I'm always figuring out new tutorials about stuff. So education never stops. But for me, um, originally I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to Full Sail when I was a kid. But then when I was 14, 15, I was interning for a director and started editing music videos and then just dropped out of high school and started a production company. And I was like, oh, because everybody I met on set didn't have a degree. If they did, they said they didn't need it. So I said, Oh, I like learning, but I don't need to go into debt.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay,
1: well, then I'll just learn. My my school is just doing it, showing up on an actual set with an actual client where there's real world problems. Like we're at a location and we're short on time and we got to get the shots how do we make the? We have to cut two shots out, but still tell the story. How do we do that?
0: Exactly. M- you like, know, yeah. Education okay. is experience and relationships. And if you can get that on the job, especially in film and TV, like yes. I, th- I think, I think there are in it. Like if you're going to go into medicine, yeah, you should probably get a degree. Absolutely. But,
1: <laughs> I don't want a doctor who's winging it. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Although there are certainly kinds of alternative medicine that yes. I think are very worthwhile. And yes. I love exploring those too. Um, but yeah, I think, I think experience is our teacher. And when we have experience, that gives us stories to tell. So I always love to tell people, it doesn't matter what you've done with your life up until now, you have a story to tell. And if you feel called to tell it, tell it. Yes. Get the tools you need to get it into the world so it can have the impact it's meant to have.
1: Yes, and not every story is supposed to be this huge epic thing. It's, it's a human experience. If you're curious enough, anybody's life is interesting. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know. And I think some people just don't realize what's interesting about their life for the story, mm-hmm. but there is something there. There is a struggle, there's a desire, there's an obstacle, <laughs> there's character development. Friends like, become enemies, enemies become friends. <laughs> yeah. it's like
0: If you hear you overcame something, listen. Yeah,
1: yeah. there's a story to be told. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> the students that you have, is there anything they have in common? What kind of people have taken your class so far? Are they people that were already interested in film?
0: Let's see. I think a lot of people who have taken my class are usually either creatives who've excelled or, you know, had some success in one area but haven't – but want to go beyond that. So mm. I have actors who've been, you know, series regular on hit TV shows, but, you know, they're, they're subject to – The whims of the writers, the whims of the director, right? Right. They're not as in control of the creative process. So they're looking to tell a story that they actually want to tell, not just one that's given to them, right? Um, I have writers who have written books, but again, they haven't had something where... Where they have to collaborate more. They haven't had something that is on screen. They've only had something on paper. So they're right. looking to get something that's like a little bit more to
1: manifest more as a full project. Exactly, because you can manifest- write a book in a by yourself.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So they're looking to do something that's bigger, and and I think TV is more immediate than books are, uh, simply How so? because we're uh, uh, in the way that um, I. We're wired to be able to talk to each other. Like reading and and writing are were um came into human civilization later, right? Oh, that's a good like point. our yeah. brains aren't actually we we've like taught ourselves to write, and it's great. but our brains aren't actually as baseline wired to do that as to just look at someone and talk to someone and communicate with someone. Like that's a right. like much more baseline level. Uh, that we have access to for connection. So in terms of connecting with people, TV can be a a way that feels a little bit more immediate to connect to, especially because some people, you know, whether you have dyslexia, or there there are just different ways that people take in communication. And sometimes it's a bit easier to have something where you're watching two people talk or watching someone navigate something as opposed to having to go through the written word to do it. Does that make
1: sense? Mm, That makes sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) If there was a show about your life, what would it be like? What would be the pitch for the show about your life? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama?
0: <laughs> I, I think it would be- um,
1: Is it a romance?
0: A romantic dramedy. Okay. You know, why, not, why pick one? <laughs> um, actually, it's funny that you say that. I've been thinking of a, I finally have an idea for a film. I've written a film script before with my partner, but I had an idea for one I want to write for myself that's about- um, <laughs> these three relationships that I've manifested and sort of learning the ways that something looks perfect on paper, but maybe isn't. Mm. And like ha- getting to the place where you recognize, oh, just because something looks good doesn't mean it's great. And you have to show up as the person you want to be in the relationship.
1: Right. Right? The relationship. Like intimate relationships. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like romantic relationships. So these are like past relationships. Past like.
0: romantic relationships. Yeah. So I I'll say um I I have I have had the weird thing happen that I will write something and then it will come true.
1: Right, I think you were telling me that when and we met, was, yeah. Yeah, and
0: I was telling you about that. So um, so I used to think when I'd write something and it came true, I'd be like, oh my God, it's meant to be. Like this is this is what's meant to be. And I had to realize, oh no, that's not the answer. That's just the beginning of the journey. Like I still have to show right. up as my whole person as my whole self, right. like Prince Charming showing up and being everything I wanted on paper doesn't mean we're done here. It actually is just the beginning of the journey.
1: That's a good distinction to make.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I used to think it was the end of the journey. So I kept thinking, ah, I found my person. Like, Oh, that wasn't my person. So- yeah. uh,
1: It's interesting how we project what we want onto people. Absolutely. Right, And the yeah. reason we choose to date certain people based on where we are in life. We were talking about that at our team holiday dinner the other day. Right about different phases of my life, what I thought I desired actually was speaking a lot about me. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it now, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a phase where I was avoiding responsibility. Or that was a phase where I was low on money. So I was dating girls that were like wealthier or whatever. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or, or there was a phase where I was shy and I was dating very confident girls. It's like, oh, that's so interesting. It was like a lot of choices that were made based based on what was missing instead of what I actually wanted. I think you you hit
0: the nail exactly on the head. And the thing is because Mm -hmm. I tend to write from my authentic experience. So I would write things that were, you know, I'd write what I wanted or what I wished I had, but then that's what I that would end up showing up, right? Yeah. And so and then I think going through the process of actually dating those people and realizing, oh, I'm I'm going to them for something I'm actually looking for in myself.
1: Yes.
0: And so I haven't seen a movie totally get that. You know, I think so many movies like love solves the problem and like, lo- like, oh, they're together. That's the end of the story. And I think actually it's when you recognize what who you need to be, that's where the really juicy, incredible stuff is. And when you have that realization that you have like, oh, I was going after those people because, because I wasn't looking at this thing in myself. Ah. Um, so I want to make a movie about that so i i don't want to get too that's specific, a cool idea yeah. yeah
1: and is that what is that how you would
0: uh, and and like for if your there was life a mo- so yeah I, I guess if i made a tv show it would be a limited series so a limited series that's about um growing in love and in life yeah i'll, I'll tell you what i'm writing one script that i think i, I mentioned it to you before but I'll, I'll say it for the people okay um It's a script about a woman who makes decisions that are great on paper, not so great in real life. And then she adopts a stray dog, which seems like a terrible decision. But it turns out this dog might just be her spirit animal. So as she's trying to train the dog, the dog is actually training her to make better decisions in love and in life. And I think that kind of show would be the show that my life would be. That's beautiful. Thanks.
1: How else would you describe your life, other than romance and other than that?
0: Oh yeah, um, how would I describe my life?
1: Like your life up until you graduated, what was it like?
0: Up until I graduated? Yeah, from,
1: like from, when you, from when you were a baby till when you were in Korea.
0: Okay. Oh, what, like what? Like what was your
1: childhood like? Oh, what
0: was like, my childhood, was it like... Like, okay, yeah. Um, I was born in Long Beach, California, kay. but uh, we moved to Chesterfield, Missouri, the joke What a I, move, huh? What a move. Um, I'll tell you this story. So my dad used to read us the Chronicles of Narnia every night. And so at night he would say, "Let's uh, we're going to go to a magical place where it snows, but the White Witch made it so that it's never Christmas. And my brother and I would go, Narnia, Narnia. <laughs> And so one day he comes to us, he says, we're about to go to a place where it snows. And my brother and I say, Narnia, Narnia. And he says, no, we're going to Missouri. <laughs> <It's> like, <"What's> <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I'm actually grateful now that I grew up in Missouri. Uh how old were you when you moved? I was eight. Okay. Actually, fun fact, I moved the year before the Rams moved to St. Louis. Mm. And then I moved, after I moved back to California and got my California driver's license, the Rams moved back to California. They've been stalking me my whole life. I'm
1: saying. It's super
0: inappropriate, <laughs> but I'm kind of into it. Um, so I would say my childhood growing up in Chesterfield in some ways was Magical because you know there was a creek across the street. Like we really got to run around um, in a way that I don't think is as common as it used to be. So like we go camping, we go hiking. Like there was there was a kind of um, there was a kind of freedom and safety that was really special and that I appreciate now. I think more than I did at the time.
1: And get to have a variety of life experience, right? And see how other people live.
0: Exactly. So
1: when you come back to the L.A. bubble,
0: yeah. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh. (laughs) Um, but the flip side, um, I think Missouri can be really segregated Mm. and that was particularly difficult growing up. I think, um, I didn't fit into a lot of people's idea of what it meant to be a black girl or a black woman. And so I, and, and I had a lot of stuff about trying to please people or trying to fit into things. So I constantly felt like, um, like I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't, uh, like I wasn't black enough. Like I wasn't, um, like I wasn't accepted in many different places. So that was challenging. But I think I'm a big believer that the things that are our biggest challenges end up becoming our biggest superpowers.
1: Yes. So,
0: um, you know, I connected more deeply with um, other black women, especially when I was in college and, and some in high school too, but I would say I really found my like clique of close friends in college. Yeah. Um, and, and learning that my experience of blackness might be different than other people's, and that was okay. That That's not right or wrong. It's, it's not just right or yours, wrong. It's yeah. just mine. Um, and so that was really powerful. And it's interesting because the first pers- the first person that I helped sell a TV show to Netflix, she's Australian. Um, she's in like her family is Indian. Uh, like ethnically Indian, but she and she grew up in Australia, and it was so interesting because our how we felt growing up in our on other sides of the world paralleled each other so much, and I was able to share my experience in a way that she found really empowering. Wow. So it makes me so happy that I could transform something that made me feel alone when I was growing up into something that helps someone else feel connected. That's as-
1: beautiful. Let's take a moment to appreciate that because it's like an alchemist. Perspective, right? To see purpose in the pain, not that we wish pain upon people, but when you're going through a painful moment, that's really ammunition for you to create transformation for somebody else in the future. So, like every time I face a difficulty, I'm like, okay, there's a gift in this somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And I love that word you said the al- what, the alchemist something. Yeah, it's like an again? it's
1: like an alchemist perspective. The right? alchemist
0: perspective. You're tra- you're I love turning that it into turning gold. into gold. Yes. yes. And um. I've found that every story I've told and sold has been, has had that alchemist perspective, has had looking at something that was an obstacle because that's what a story is. A story is facing an obstacle and what happens with it, right? Yes. Um, and I so tell that to I'm my
1: friends th- when they're going through stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you're just making a great story. They're like, I have this crazy obstacle in my life. I'm like,
0: Amazing! Like juice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh well, you're gonna have some. If you go into it, you're gonna get some deep insights out of it. Yes, absolutely.
1: A boring story has no obstacles.
0: And that's actually a lot. A lot of times when I see a first draft of a pilot script, a lot of times I'm like, you need to throw some more sharks at this person. Yeah. Like there's um there's a great uh, episode of the Script Notes podcast that's about how to write a movie script, but I think it applies to TV as well. It applies to anything that has character in it. It's fantastic. Um, but one of the things they talk about is how Finding Nemo is a perfect movie, in part because they know when to throw sharks at the main character, like when quite literally
1: sharks, literally yeah. sharks. Like how yeah. do you put,
0: how do you figure out what they what the worst possible obstacle that they could face is, and then have them face it? Because that's what makes a story compelling. That's what makes us want to watch, and that's mm. where we grow and learn from when we watch it. You know?
1: Absolutely. It's so interesting, right? <laughs> the beauty of that of learning about our life through movies and seeing how characters persevere
0: yeah i think it makes um okay i i I pull up so many random references but i used to study acting at the imagine life like diana castle and one of the things she taught as an acting teacher is about empathy and how important empathy is and and how stories are the way that information, important information that kept us alive as a human species was communicated to each other, right? So she tells, and, and I'm gonna fudge the details of yeah, this, yeah, so owning yeah. that now. Um, but she was talking about, um, there was some place, some island place where tsunamis used to happen, and there okay. would be signs when a tsunami is coming, mm-hmm. right? But the, And those signs we told through stories over from generation to generation, because there wouldn't be a tsunami every generation, right? right? So how do you impart that information in a way that, you know, 70, 100, 150 years from now that people will remember it and be able to act on it, right? So for years, this culture had the story that was passed on. Eventually, you know, this place is colonized. There are, like, hotels at this place now. Like, it's not... Um, but that story was still passed around in the the native indigenous culture that had been there, and so when they saw the signs, the people from the culture that had been there were te- told each other saw them and were trying to warn other people. But again, because that story wasn't in the colonizer culture, right. they didn't know, and so. You know, that one group of people got to high land and another group of people didn't. And the, the, what I took away from that is just how important stories are to be able to communicate information, to act on, to, um, to integrate and to really support each other.
1: Yes, and that makes me think also about how we communicate stories to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like after something happens, what is a story I tell to myself about what happened?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Like after
1: a breakup, what I tell myself what caused that breakup, why it happened, and how I tell my friends, oh yeah, this happened. We're hypnotizing ourselves into a whole paradigm based on how we tell what happened. 100%. And there could be 20 different ways to tell stories with the same facts without even changing the facts. Exactly. Keep everything true, but frame it completely different. And not just because something is accurate doesn't mean it's effective, right?
0: 100%. And, you and can take the same facts and make a story that inspires people. You can make a story that tears people down. You can make a story like, um, yeah, I like, think it's funny, this is such an old saying, but I've been thinking about it more lately. The glass ha- half empty or half full. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you're the positive or negative, half empty, half full. And what I really thought about it was, I thought about, oh, it's the same facts. And what is the story that you are going to tell yourself about these facts?
1: Straight up. Like, if you, you if, let's say if somebody's adopted, mm-hmm. they could choose to look at the frame as, my parents gave me up. Or you could say, I'm the chosen one. Both true. Both true. Right? Like, is life. Mm-hmm punishing me or is life challenging me to become better?
0: Mm. All right? Like mm-hmm. some of
1: the the best things that ever happened to me. And now I'm realizing <laughs> I actually dodged quite a few bullets in this industry. Um, working with different celebrities and then having things not work out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then years later, finding out that there was all kinds of worse things happening with mm-hmm. them. I'm like, wow, thank God I got fired from that camp because they were on some dark shit. <laughs> and life just redirected me. And it's like, wow, sometimes not getting what I want is giving me what I need, you know? And it doesn't mean you just give up and let life just happen to you. Mm -hmm. But maybe I look at it as life is happening for me. I'm a collaborator with life.
0: Exactly. I like to think of it as a dance with the universe, right? It's the universe isn't just happening to me, but also I'm not deciding everything. It's we're doing something together. We're moving together. Yes. You know, um, I do this uh, hypnotic manifestation practice called to be magnetic that I absolutely love. And you oh, know, it's obviously
1: working. You're very magnetic. Well,
0: thank you. <laughs> Thanks Lacey Phillips. Um, but that's one of the things yeah. that she brings up that it's, it's integrating, right? Like it's not just the idea that you control everything because that's, that's, an illusion and not always a really helpful one. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's an illusion to think that you are just subject to what is happening to you, right? That's right. a very- They're
1: both illusions. They're that you both have illusions. no power or they you have all the power. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: so I am a big fan of the integrated approach. So to bring it back to the glass, I would say the glass is half empty and half full. Like yes. I, I actually like being able to hold both of those truths Yes. Um, because I think that's the most powerful place to act on, a place of integration.
1: I agree. And they say that the vibration of authenticity is above positivity.
0: Mm. Oh, I haven't heard that and I love that. Say that again.
1: The vibration of authenticity is higher than positivity. Right. Just like how you have, you know, apathy and then like and above that it would be anger. Like Mm. being angry is more useful than than being dead inside. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then being positive is above that. But really being authentic.
0: I love that.
1: There's layers to it. Yeah. There's layers to it. I, I think art is very useful for life. A lot of times people think either I'm an artist or I'm not an artist. Everybody's an artist. It's just whether or not you know how to play the piano or know how to make movie, but there's an art to everything. There's an art to how you hug somebody. There's an art to being a great father, to being a great friend, to, you know, there's an art to all of it. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. And we are, some people say, oh, I'm not creative, but you are, you create that, you create ideas in your head. We are all creative. Just how that comes out is different depending on what, depending on two things, I think. So there's, there's our innate gifts, and then there's also the skills that we cultivate in ourselves. Yes. And then there's also any pain, shame, and programming we pick up if we don't, if we don't, you know, address it. That's a big part of it:
1: pain, shame, and programming. And sometimes we just hypnotize ourselves into saying, "I'm not an artist. I'm not an artist." Or if you're an artist, just say, I-, "I don't know business."
0: Mm, that's a big one that I see a lot of.
1: Or with artists, you know, what's my biggest pet peeve? Mm. Is this false belief that if you're like artists and money are are against each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because there's art that I do that makes money and art that I do specifically that I don't want to make money from. Mm-hmm. But just because you care to want to make something successful doesn't make you any less of an artist.
0: Strong right? agree. Like, Absolutely.
1: Titanic was art.
0: I so agree. Some and,
1: people think they're cool because they just named some like indie film that didn't make it. And they're like, that's art. I'm like, yeah, but so is Titanic. <laughs> so is it. Just because something is major doesn't mean it's not artistic.
0: Agree. Yeah. And, and I, I think more recently, I've really tapped into this idea that money is flow, like currency, like it's a current, it's a flow. And so when we are blocked off, when we don't think art and money can have a relationship with each other, then we're really blocking a kind of flow. And Again, not every art has to make money. I think Correct. it's beautiful to make things that, without the intention of needing it to even be seen by anyone else, you can make something just for yourself. And hundred percent.
1: That's how I do this podcast. It's primarily for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Kurt, I'm yes. talking to you because I want the info. The cameras just ah! happen to be here. And I'm like, hey, you guys can listen too. But this is for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think another big reason I got into my work is because I want to empower creatives to make a sustainable income and to have equity in the projects that they create.
1: Big one right there.
0: Really big, right? Um so I think writing and create, when you start to build the relationship, when you build the thing, then you can structure it in a way where you have equity and ownership in it. And so I, it's funny, I don't lead with that, but like that's secretly what I'm directing people to is how do you get to have an ownership stake in your idea and it's not just something that happens to you? How do you get to dance with the universe and not just, have, not just be subject to it?
1: I love that. And I think w- w- another thing that comes into my mind about art and money, what's interesting, is that art sells for a lot of money, for one, mm-hmm. and art outlives money,
0: mm-hmm. right? Because
1: mm-hmm. like a Zimbabwe dollar is not worth anything, neither is a Confederate dollar, mm-hmm. but Confederate art forms or Zimbabwe art, like there's, people will still pay money mm-hmm. for art from civilizations that are dead,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where
1: their currency isn't valuable, you're right. But a painting from that era is now worth more in the new currency.
0: I had never thought of it like that way before, but you are absolutely right. I love that.
1: Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. Yeah. An entire banking system could collapse, but the art piece from somebody who struggled within it could be worth a lot of money.
0: I l- so, I'm going to be thinking about that all night now. I really like that.
1: And money is just as subjective as art. It's just a collective belief system. Yes. If every person in America went to the ATM and took out all their cash, the the system would collapse, mm-hmm. right? It's just rioting on the faith that we're all not going to do that and that we all believe it's worth something.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Just like how people believe a, a a a painting is worth something.
0: It's all or a scar for belief a movie, system. right? Like yeah. there's
1: certain movies that I, I would pay so much money to make sure I never lose that movie. Like, mm. some movies that they mean so much to me. I'm like, oh, thank God a movie exists. It's, it's, it's It means the world to me,
0: there's right, a, or certain songs. Yeah. There's a movie <clears throat> I love called Margin Call. I don't know if you've seen it. It have seen it. It's um, – you know, it's little known, but it's so great. It's it's basically based on the 2008 financial crisis. Okay. Um, like sort of what happens in the building in this like 12-hour time span when okay. they realize it's going to collapse versus like starting the collapse. Um, but Jeremy Irons has this great line that I'm going to paraphrase badly, uh, which is something like money is not real. Like this guy who's the head of this huge inv- billion-dollar bank investment company is like money is not real. It's just something we uh, agree. It's just something we use so that we don't have to fight or we each other to have steak for dinner. Yeah. Something like that. And that line, though I can't remember it accurately, has always stuck with me of like, oh, if the wizard of the system is like, actually, this is just a belief system, I think, okay, well, what are the beliefs that are going to best serve us our highest purpose in this life?
1: Yes. And I think our beliefs about money subconsciously affect how we feel about it. Same thing with art. Right? The belief of saying, I'm not a good artist, mm. or my art is not worthy, or nobody mm. cares. or You can learn skills. You can learn how to edit. You can learn how to write. But to tap into that emotion, that's a human thing. right? And everybody has that. And I think what your course can help people do is to tap into something that's real, but transform it into like a real project.
0: Exactly. It's how do you go from that internal story? How do you put together something that can get the right team? How do you get it onto the air? How do you get it onto the screen?
1: It makes me think, how many amazing movies were never made?
0: Mm, So many. I'll tell you right now, so many.
1: Right? How many people have incredible ideas? They might be like a chef that's just watching this. It's like, man, I have a great idea, but I don't know shit about writing. And it could be the best show ever that's just sitting there in somebody's head. Mm. That's why we need... Projects like what you're doing to help transform the seeds of inspiration <laughs> into the fruits <laughs> of entertainment. Oh,
0: thank you. Oh, I I do feel truly privileged. I feel like I'm living more and more in my purpose every year, and this is such a such a key part of my purpose. Yeah. Um, I just hosted a writing retreat two weekends ago. Just a little beta version of it, just to test out what it was like. Um, because I wanted to have a place where, like an in-person one, like an in-person one. So I had people come to a house in Beverly Hills, and just for three days in a row, we'd meet. And um, I was really, I'm really interested in flow state. So I brought on someone who's an expert in how to trigger flow state. Like, how do you make it so that writing doesn't feel so arduous that you can tell me about that? Oh yeah, okay. So um, her namey, her, her, her namey. name-y. <laughs> <laughs> um, she goes by Namaste yoga. So that's why I'll I'll give the info in the that you can put in the um, I don't know, the show notes yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh but so she's incredible because she's this yoga and mindset teacher who teaches about how do you use Yoga Nidra to it's basically like inception, like how do you incept yourself? Like look at your problem from a different perspective while you're in a meditation and get the answer. Mm. And then how do you also trigger flow state? Cause we all actually have been in flow state before, but how do you set yourself up so that you can have it? um, More on command. More on command, exactly. So we we started with realizing how fear is actually a trick, can be used as a trigger for flow state. That, like, you actually don't need to be totally relaxed. Like, having a little bit of it's like to relax is down here, and then, like, super in fight or flight is up here, and like, flow state is actually in here in the middle of it. Yeah. So, how do you use the 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 fear that's keeping you out of being a totally relaxed? How do you use it? How do you use it to get into that middle state? Because we do need
1: a little nudge. You if need we, a little if nudge. we have all the time in the world, yeah. t- things don't get done. But if somebody says, write a movie about your life by next week, something will get done.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I'll, I'll have a movie for you by next week. You you go make it. I'll get it. But exactly, yeah. it's it is it's finding that sweet spot. So we had a workshop around that sweet spot, and then we also had a private chef come. Who would come and create these healthy, nourishing meals that support the writing process? So basically, we let the writers—you can put everything down except your writing process for this weekend—and it was incredible. People had so many breakthroughs. There's some one one woman wrote 23 pages of her script in the wow. weekend. Like it was, it was great. So it's
1: like you're re- removing the obstacles that get in the way.
0: Exactly. I feel like
1: naturally we're all meant to be creative, just like how we're all meant to be loving. You know, it's just about removing the things that are in the way.
0: Exactly. Like how do we remove the blocks? How do we put the things down so that you can be your whole worthy self in a space and do what is in your purpose and what you were meant to do? Yeah. Um, so it was a powerful, powerful weekend. And um, and yeah, it, it just speaks to, I, I wanna do a larger retreat in the new year and like open it up a little bit so that more people can do it. And yeah, I just, every block I've had, I've realized I could, build for other people based on that block. Like all of, every time I have a block, as I navigate it, I learn and then I can share it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can be the person calling out about the tsunami coming.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and it helps you practice it too.
0: Yeah. Teaching
1: something is a great way to learn it. Absolutely. Right. Like if you teach somebody level one of anything, of anything, before they get to level two, they should teach, reteach level one to somebody who knows nothing. It helps you get it in your mind more. Yeah. It also creates a sense of, if I'm teaching this to you, I better apply it too.
0: Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. keeps you sharp. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll just add, like, a great way to learn something is to do a podcast about it and have people on. Yeah, I think this is <laughs> the most brilliant idea when I saw your podcast. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, what a great way to get tapped into creativity and artists and, like, minds expansive mindsets. Just have a place where you can talk to the people who do that. The, and build it for yourself
1: the podcast is for me the fact that other people like it i think is fantastic and actually maybe i feel like 10 20 years in the future this will mean a lot more because when i have kids <gasps> i want them to one day see what i was thinking and talking about you know and i just love having uninterrupted real conversations mm-hmm. i had no questions planned for you it's just i don't right now I don't even know what i'm gonna ask you ask, we're just in the moment and whatever that. it is it is it's just a moment of discovery that happens to be captured
0: I love yeah. that, and it reminds me of this um, this idea that kind of captured my mind maybe about a year ago, which is that you've never experienced a tomorrow. Mm. There was only you have only ever been in the present moment. Yeah. So, like. I went to a, a little meditation group today, and one thing that we talked about was we think, oh, I'm, I, my, my mind isn't here. Actually, here is the only place your mind can be. You might be thinking about other stuff, but you can only ever be in the present moment.
1: Yeah, it's like when you're procrastinating on something, uh, somebody once said, oh, when would now be a good time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to
0: write that on something. That's great.
1: I also sometimes like thinking about the future to make me ref- uh, focus on today. Like I always think about how right now we're in the future's past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I used to do this meditation where I would imagine that I was actually 10 years in the future, wishing I could go 10 years ago and change everything.
0: I totally get that.
1: Right? Yeah. So like if I was now, like I'm 35 now. So if I'm imagining I was 45 and what that life would be like if I didn't fix anything
0: Mm.
1: and kind of be there for a bit and then say, God, I wish I could be 35 again. I would change so much. And then back in time to today. And it's like, ah, I got things to do today. And just use that as a perspective, right? Same thing like, I imagine when um, you know, my dog is eight, I'm hoping he'll live to be like 18. You know, I'm putting that in the universe. You know, even like when his hairs get on the mic sometimes. (laughs) I, I I know it's kind of morbid, but I imagine that one day he's going to be the dog I used to have
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and his hairs won't be here anymore. Mm. Oh, oh. And at that point in time in the future, I'm going to miss his hairs being on the microphone. I'll probably save a few to leave him on the mic just to remember that he, you know, he sheds so much. Right. So I see it now when I see little hairs here, I'm like, oh, that's a sign of life. But I have to go into the future to realize that at one point, the thing that's annoying now will be what I remember him by. Because if my life was a movie, my character, if, if I used to, if my character would fuss about the hairs at the end of the movie, he'd be like, oh, I wish his hairs were still here.
0: First of all, I, I'm what, 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 let me ask you some questions. If there was a movie about your life, what would it be about? We get comfortable.
1: It would be about a Brazilian man living the American dream. Mm-hmm. About moving to many different cities, about having creative parents and a mixture of mentors, such a weird mixture of mentors, from bankers, to gangsters, to skaters, to filmmakers, to weird business people, to just all these interesting souls that come into contact with me, that teach me things, and that want to see me grow. A lot of people believed in me. You know how people say a lot of people didn't believe in me? Actually, a lot of people believed in me growing up. I didn't have a lot of financial support, but everybody that met me was like, oh, yeah, you you should be creating some stuff. And, uh, and it took a while for me to fully connect with it, but I feel like I'm here to create. I'm here to live, connect, and create, and I want to make the most of it. And I, I'm very grateful for the American experience. My experience as a Brazilian, my dad is Cuban. We moved from Brazil to Cleveland, then to Kentucky, then to Chicago, and then I went to New York and then to San Diego, then back to Chicago, then on tour for a couple of years, then back over here. And all kinds of craziness in between all that. And to me, my life is a a motivational, inspiring adventure. You know, like I have friends back in Chicago that we used to go goal setting and skydiving. And we would commit that with this jump, we commit to our goals and then we would land and I remember this one time me and my friend, Nick, we spent the last 300 bucks we both had. We did this Tony Robbins goal setting session. And I said, I want to build this. And he said, I want to build that. And we went skydiving when we landed it was our commitment to do them. And now we're out here, he has a show on Netflix. He has a huge thing he's building. I'm building my stuff. And it's like, yeah, look, we made it happen. And now it's just, now the next phase. And now even with this podcast, I'm seeing other people build their dreams. and I love it, you know? And to me, it's one big adventure. Like I'm so grateful to be alive. This is the best time to ever be alive ever for any creative, I think. Like if you wanna live like back in the days and go to the woods. Like, (laughs) Like this is, we're here now. And this is our time to be alive, to create, to share with the world, you know? Like 200 years ago, people couldn't get smoothies. You could be the king of Mexico or whatever. And if you wanted a banana, strawberry banana smoothie, you couldn't get one. You probably didn't even know what one was, you know? And now I can like that, you know, I can listen to jokes that were told 20 years ago. That comedian's dead, but he can make me laugh today. That was impossible pre a hundred years ago. Somebody had to remember the joke and retell it to you. Mm. There was a time where you could only hear Beethoven if you were there and that probably was special for those people, but what about the other people who lived and died never hearing Beethoven? Exactly. Right? So now we have all the inspiration in the world at our fingertips. And we're here to create. So that's what my life is about, is making the most of that and and appreciating it. Like I'm grateful for everything, no matter how good or bad it is. I'm like, yeah, we're here, you know? And if people say, I don't want to have kids because the world's fucked up. That's the best reason to have kids. I want them to fix it. Somebody's got to fix it, (laughs) right? I
0: believe believe in raising a generation of people who are so empowered that they can see the solutions that we cannot.
1: Yeah, you know, life to me is is an adventure, is a comedy, is romance, is action. It's it's I'm I'm in love with life. There's I, not enough time in the day. I wish I could live to be 300. There's so much to do.
0: I want to watch this movie, Brazil. I want to watch I this wanna movie. I want to make this movie life. one yes. day. I
1: might have to take your workshop yes! and <laughs> bring this thing into fruition.
0: Yes, you heard it here first. You
1: know, like I had such interesting mentors. Like when I was 14 in Chicago, I was interning for a music video director that I met on MySpace who was working with like Snoop and Kanye and Do or Die and Twist, and all these people. And I'm a little kid interning at music video sets on the South side of Chicago, leaving school to go do that. And then they give me the behind the, I film like behind the scenes, right? That was like my first job, I was interning and then BTS. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they gave me the raw footage from the main camera for me to use in the BTS for when the director's referring to a scene for me to show the scene that he's referring to. Mm -hmm. So when he came to look at my behind the scenes cut, I was like, yo, I got the behind the scenes, but I also recut the video for you. And he was like, what? He's like, did you leak it? I was like, no, 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 I didn't leak it. I was like, I I didn't, you know, I didn't overwrite your version. I just copy and pasted the files. Wanted to show you my version of the edit. Played it for him. It was like the longest three minutes of my life, you know? I'm like, did I overstep my boundaries, you know? And he was like a very like kind of nonchalant kind of guy. So he was just looking, like, looking at me, looking at the edit. And then when it's done, he just kind of picks up the phone. And I'm like, oh, he's really pissed off with me, you know? And then he calls the artist and he's like, yo, we got to send the new version of the video to BET. And he's like, from now on, you're my editor. And I was like 14 years old. So then I was just working nonstop on music videos while being in high school on real sets, asking everybody questions. And then eventually I was like, why do I even need to be in in high school for? I could just get an online degree, drop out and start my own company and have been doing that ever since. And now here we are. And and all kinds of other mentors just pop up in my life at random times. I just meet people through happenstance and they're like, I want to show you the ropes of this thing.
0: When the student is ready, the teacher will appear.
1: And there's teachers everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Teachers could be anywhere. I think people could, you could find you could, a homeless person could be a teacher on Absolutely. what not on, you know, on how things can go wrong. Like anybody could teach you anything, right? And I wanna make the most of this life. And I feel like there's a, a sense of pessimism, huge sense of pessimism in the culture right now. Some justified, others kind of programmed into people. And I wanna help people appreciate what we can do with it all.
0: I love that. And you know, I'm reading this book right now called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Mm. It's so good. Um, Anyone who is running an organization or has to work with a team, like highly, highly, highly recommend. But you just said something that so paralleled what I read today. Yeah. When you said, oh dear, what if it left my brain just now? (laughs) Um, Oh yes, about everyone is your teacher. In this book, one of the precepts is Everyone is your ally. And that doesn't mean that everyone is looking out for you and wants you to succeed. Mm. But if you treat ev- what, that you have something to learn from everyone and that everyone is... Like even if they do something and they have ill intent towards you when they do it, is there something you get to learn from it? Is there a way that you get to shape? Is it an obstacle that you get to grow from? Yeah. And so when you think of everyone as your ally and as the universe on your side, what? how do you show up differently and how does that free you to be able to show up in a way that will actually serve you and again, help you live in your purpose.
1: Yes, and then some people are just in horrible situations, right? Mm-hmm. That are just like physically detrimental. They have no way out. Like mm-hmm. there's people that are like enslaved in China right now, right? Yes. So yes. it's like, this advice doesn't fully appreciate, but kind of. Not fully, but, but even if you are like a prisoner of war, you still got to make the most of what mm-hmm. you're doing there. hmm like, Right? Like, you know, my dad's in prison right now. He's been down. He's, he got sentenced for 10 years. He's got like two years left. It's not an ideal situation. He's got to make the most of it.
0: hmm mm-hmm. And I yeah. think I know... There are struggles that I've had in my life, and I speak to those struggles. There are struggles I have not had in my life, and I know it is more helpful to... Like, if you're in a struggle, it is helpful to hear from someone who has been through that same struggle. Yes. So it's I, I try to empower voices that have had that experience so that they can speak to it in a way that coming from me, it might seem you know, Pollyanna-ish or short-sighted or or only looking at the positivity where I say, okay, who can I empower or help so that they, who've been through even, you know, who've been through more than I have that can speak to how to use mindset to shift their relationship to that experience in a way that they get to be more empowered and can empower other people.
1: Because mindset really is everything. Because I mean, Mm -hmm. if you want to take a brutal way of looking at it, if somebody gets brain damage, they forget everything that ever happened to them. Meaning the whole story of all the pain they've ever had can go away by just them not thinking about it.
0: Somebody yeah, could literally forget the all their pain. It's the difference between pain and suffering, right?
1: Right, right? right. Like so much of it is in, in, our, in our brain,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like
1: I've had real things like people that I've loved have passed away and actual terrible things have happened and they were painful in the moment, but... If I'm looking at my life in totality, th- those were all just beautiful parts of the process
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: to shape who I am. That was their journey, where their life ended. And I have to appreciate the impact they had on my life and, and make the most of it. I mean, life really is up here. Yeah. You could be sad at Disneyland. Mm. You know?
0: You, guys, you you be dropping bars in this. You could be sad at Disneyland. <laughs> Listen.
1: Like, you, you could be, right? And, and you could- and You, you could, could need a nap. <laughs> you could. And you could be, you know, laughing at the hospital too. It's, it's all possible. You I could like, be laughing at a funeral. You can crack some great jokes at a funeral.
0: Oh, agree. Agre- I think some of the best jokes that have happened have happened at funerals. Yes. Because there, there's a tension release, right? Like, mm. when you have that that tension to have that, you're, you're actually primed to have some sort of release. Yes. Yeah. And- um, And yeah, I think people can be a little bit more reflective then too. So see things that they make connection that they wouldn't ordinarily make, which I think is where humor can come from. Yeah, Isn't there that saying that uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy? I think you don't, sometimes, it depends on the tragedy. (laughs) Depends on the tragedy. But, you know, the amount of time can vary significantly.
1: Yeah. For some comedians, it's never too soon.
0: Mm. I remember a friend of mine wanted to the year Amy Winehouse died. Wanted to go as zombie Amy Winehouse for Halloween, and I said too soon. Mm. I was like zombie George Washington because no one, no one's, you know (laughs) what I mean. Like that's, but I, I think, um, yeah, I, I also think different people have different roles in the society in terms of how provocative they want to be, and and how and like society needs provocateurs. Um, I myself am very conscious of impact and so I would never want something I create to deliberately to be made in a way that was un- to unconsciously harm someone like I might might make yeah. something that is in alignment for me and if someone's mad about it, that's their problem right but I do like to think about okay like all things being equal like is this in my is, is this in my true authentic voice and if someone gets hurt that's life or is this like a thing I'm doing that just cuz.
1: Just cuz. Yeah. And it's also and it's being also stabby hurt. in a way that, that doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um,
1: What's your favorite movie? What are some of your favorite oh. movies? Not that like, movies the that you day. think are done well, the ones that you personally like, that okay. you are like okay. selfishly love these movies.
0: I saw, I mean, one I've already mentioned, which is Margin Call. I really enjoy that movie. I haven't seen I that. I
1: only it's... saw Big Short, which was one about the 2008.
0: Yeah, it, and Big Short is very good. I liked it. I, I, yeah, I think Margin Call is such a tight, perfect. It, I mean, I think it's like 89 minutes. Like it's such so you a They said fast it's about movie. the
1: day of. It's
0: about the day of. Yeah, it follows a few, this analyst that discovers the problem. And, like, as it moves up the chain in this company of people who are trying to be deniable about yeah. any responsibility for it. Um, and I think, I think the characters in it are so good. And the story is just so, t- like, as a writer, I'm like, mm, yeah.
1: There's power in Plus, that. Before yeah. you finish answering, that reminds me of this movie, One Night in Miami. Have you oh, seen that one? I
0: haven't seen it, but I know about fantastic.
1: it. fantastic. That one from a producer standpoint made me feel like it's so realistic to make a movie because they made that whole movie about one night in like one location with a couple cutaways. It was riveting. And I was like, oh, so I could probably make a movie happen <laughs> if I wanted it from a make it happen cost effectively. Mm-hmm. I could just pick an amazing story that happens in one night.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's, I think it's Aristotle who said something like that all, and, you know, I don't live by this, but I think it was the poetics. And I, again, could be wrong about this, but it's this idea that all the action should take place in one place at one time, like no cutaways, no like leaving, like everything should happen at like real time. Yes. And, you know, there's something really juicy about that, especially you're right from a production standpoint. (laughs) Um, And by the way, if you want to sell something, if you can point out like, don't lead with how it's cheap, but if you can point out how it's cheap, it don't hurt. You right. know? <laughs> and if by the way, like... it all
1: takes place in one house in the woods. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I, it's Again, depending on who you're pitching to and what they're looking for, but right, it can be right. a helpful, a lot of people want to pitch, um, the, uh, the word is escaping me. Um, series where each episode has different characters in a different location. Anthology, anthology series. And my Like thing, a black mirror type of like thing. Like a black mirror yeah. type of thing. Um, but the, it's difficult to get that sort of thing going because it's such a high production value. You have to recast every episode. You have to find different locations for every episode. Yeah. Like anthologies are really expensive. So I, when I talk to people who want to do an anthology, I'm not like, no, it's impossible. Won't get done. But I say, okay, like you need to have answers to those questions and think about like, you know, there was a show called Nero Wolfe that actually used the same actors over and over again to play different characters like it had a detective and a main guy but they actually have all the the rest of the cast is the same people but they'd have different names different costumes and different oh, accents interesting. it was really fun um and that was sort of part and that of played the well show. and that played the show ran for i don't know how many years at least wow. a few years so somebody
1: who would play like the clerk the next week would be somebody else, the brother or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, like the, keep shifting. Yeah. Exactly,
0: they would do, keep shifting like that. Or so there are just ways to, or like um, Room 104 on HBO, right? Like okay. it's the same hotel, like the set is the same, even though they get different writers and filmmakers come in in every episode. So it's just about thinking about okay, the
1: logistic realization of 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 your vision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like
1: you said, you shouldn't leave the fact that it's cheap but you should consider how much it's gonna cost.
0: But you should consider how to make it sound accessible and like a worthy pitch to the executive you're pitching to. Yeah. I think um, the other thing I see come up a lot is that people, it's like, you have to have that authentic story. That's the core, that's the key. But you also need to remember who you're pitching to, right? You have to remember your audience that you're not pitching. If you're pitching to a buyer, Think about what the buyer is concerned about, right? Like yes. the buyer is concerned about: is this going to have an audience? Is my boss going to think I'm crazy for bringing this to him or her right. or them? Um, right. Is uh, you know is am I going to get yelled at because blah 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 blah? So you when you create from an authentic place for yourself, but then also consider what the other person needs and what they're looking for in the project. That's and oftentimes what an executive is looking for is is there what audience can I tap into? How can I support that this is a good decision? Right. On paper. So that when you walk in there and you're like, "Listen, I know you're afraid of an anthology, but baby, I got you. It's all in one location and we blah 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 blah." And it actually taps into this audience who's really into ska music. Like then you have like, oh, like they've thought of the things.
1: Right. Because you have to understand the person buying your thing isn't just doing it willy nilly. Right. It's an investment. They have to make a return on the investment. Exactly. They have a boss to look up to. They have shareholders to report to. It has to make sense from a business perspective mm-hmm. that this idea is going to do well in how they want to showcase it to America or the world mm-hmm. and that it's going to make that company look good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So it's like, I, I think it's. Don't start from that place you have I find it better to start from the like your sure. authentic self but then if you are like okay I'm showing myself again reciprocity again it's a relationship like successful relationships you look out for each other you know so it's like hey I'm looking I know what you're worried about and I'm looking out for you
1: You know it was an incredible show that I thought knocked it out of the park ooh do tell season three of Dave.
0: I have not seen that.
1: Yeah, is the little Dicky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. season th- season 1 was was good, season mm-hmm. 2 was good. Season 3 was like a tenfold leap forward in production style in everything. It's like a ma- like the final episode of it is so good. I've shown it to people without them seeing any of the prior seasons. I say just look at season finale of season 3 by itself it's like a movie. You don't have to know anything and it just works top to bottom. I mean- the cinematography, the story, the aesthetic, the storytelling, the mixture of comedy and drama, which a lot of shows are doing that now. Like mm-hmm. Barry did that mm-hmm. really well, where it's like, you know, it's funny, but it's a serial killer. And it's this and that. Um, I like where that's going. The fact that TV shows now, the rules are kind of breaking.
0: Mm-hmm. The genres are breaking. There's, yeah. a of, there's a lot more freedom. I think um, I think going on to streamers contributed to that. Like suddenly you don't have ad breaks at the same time. Suddenly the production schedule isn't the same. Like you get a lot more Freedom to play because there aren't the same, like, yeah, advertiser concerns and structure right. necessary. Because
1: normally you have an exact time slot for mm-hmm. right traditional TV for, mm-hmm. for how many minutes you need for commercials and so on. So it has to be that the cuts have to be down to the second.
0: Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. for
1: streaming, if this episode's seven minutes longer, oh, well, it needed to be seven minutes longer. It is what it is,
0: yeah. And I mean, the perils of that is, I think. Again, obstacles a lot of times end up refine and honing hone something. So sometimes at streamers I think something could use another round of honing or like it's taking more mm. it could have been distilled to its to its core more. So it, it it has it has um it has its upsides and its downsides, but I think the freedom is a really powerful upside, especially as for artists.
1: Where do you think it's going in the next couple of years?
0: I was like, that is the question everyone has, uh, especially with AI right now. So I think the industry – I think that AI is going to get integrated more into the entertainment industry. I think it – I am so glad that the union struck recently because to set some boundaries to make sure that hum- – because I, I think – for the most part, if studios could eliminate hu- eliminate humans from the process, they, they would. would. They would. Right, a hundred percent. Which would not actually be advantageous, but they right. think it would be. So, um, so they are I,
1: cutthroat at heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and I, you know. I I I don't support it, but I I I understand if that's how you see the world that 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 you that like the logical outcome is that even though that is actually going to end your own job too. So,
1: yes, um, right because soon you're going to have AI CEOs.
0: Right, I was like,
1: I feel like the, an AI CEO might make bad decisions. <laughs> uh, I was like,
0: or yeah, the
1: human touch would be more valuable now.
0: Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I think. Um, I think the human touch will be more valuable. And one of the things when AI first came out, what I was really excited about is that there are a lot of people who have great stories, but maybe don't see themselves as writers or don't know how to structure and format. And so I do see this As a a tool that can help creatives tell their stories more effectively. From a Um, formatting
1: standpoint, like if you write a rough idea, you say, clean it up.
0: Yeah, clean it up, or like, or like, or it's sort of like a writer's isn't to bounce ideas off of, or even like, here, I wrote this dialogue, can you structure it in like a script format, that kind of thing. So I do think. It in a way it lowers the barrier of entry so that more stories that otherwise wouldn't be told could be told, like could get into the format that it would it would need to be to be taken seriously, um, and that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and I also think, I think, that in the past there have been a lot of really, um, expensive overall, I mentioned overall deals before, or, um,
1: I keep thinking of somebody in overalls when you say <laughs> that, like a Gucci overall, <laughs> um,
0: but I, my hope is that because the barrier of entry will be lower, um, that it will, again, that more stories that aren't told can be told because it won't cost as much to tell those stories. Um,
1: but the production costs, uh, technology could help that dramatically
0: could help that dramatically. I think there is a danger uh, as there always is when there's new technology without like the appropriate, right. You know, scaffolding. Um, I think there's a danger of eliminate, not eliminating, but reducing the human touch to storytelling to the point that, you know, um, that it becomes hard for, that it could become harder for writers to find work. But I'm also a big believer that, if you adapt to the tools, you can actually, like every time there's yeah. a crisis like this, it's it's an opportunity if you're willing to grow with it. So yeah, People
1: felt the same way when streaming came around in the first place, or when music went from records to, to digital downloads. You should try to be on the right side of innovation. Although AI, it can be scary in some places, but I think humans appreciating the human touch it's just helping for me it helps with logistics
0: yeah it helps with logistical and you know Mm -hmm. there was a um there's a an analogy i really liked that when when um records first got made people were afraid that no one would do live music anymore that live music wouldn't be valued because there are records and it was was, no and actually it got more people to go to live music things because they get to hear it so i think it's difficult to anticipate what the impact of technology will be. And that as a society, we tend to think towards cataclysmic. Right. Um,
1: we sure do. Which,
0: which is not to say there are not cataclysms to think about very deeply, like right. nuclear war, like I'm real glad we took it seriously yeah. <laughs> to like not do that. So it's not to say that it couldn't have the negative impact, but I think, I think there's a great opportunity for positive impact if we continue to be conscious about how we show up and using that technology.
1: That makes sense? Facts. What if there's a person watching right now that knows they have a deep experience they want to share, but they're too shy to put themselves out there, but they have a rich experience. What would you say to them?
0: You are enough. Your experience is enough. You are worthy and you can tell the story in the way that's right for you. So that might mean, you know, Shonda talks about when she gave the pitch for Grey's Anatomy, she literally just read it off the page. Didn't make eye contact with a single person in the room because that's how she was ready to show up in that moment. So start with however you're ready to show up in this moment whether that's just picking up a pen and starting to write whether that's calling a friend and just talking the about the idea out loud whatever it is just start where you are and then look for every opportunity that you have to move up and you know i got stuff for you come to come come visit me at my website you know we'll we'll i'm here to help
1: Thank you. This is great. I feel like we could end it right there. I feel like this was straight to the point of why I wanted to have you here because we could be talking for hours. But uh, yeah, I want the viewers to know that we all do have a story to share. whether that's through filmmaking or whatever other way it is, this process of understanding your life as a story and finding the arc of it. Like, is your, is your life story really going to be a sad story the whole time? Or do you want to change that? If if you want it to be consciously, sure. But what if you want to change your life from being a drama to being a comedy? Right? Like, we all have that option. We're the directors and writers of our own life in collaboration with the universe, as we said. (laughs) Right? But if you are creative and you do want to make it happen and you want to make your projects materialize, hit her up. Take her classes. For real. You want to learn from people that are actually doing it in the real shit. She's doing it and having a process like this, even if you don't end up making a show or if that's not your goal, I'm sure just the process of going through this could transform you in ways that could help your projects in other ways, right? So tap in, if you're hungry for it, if you've made it this far into the episode, (laughs) you are hungry for it. So tap in, you know, what if your, here's a great question I have whenever I'm hesitant on a project, right? I imagine, what if my favorite project was never done? Like, if my, if my favorite album that I like to listen to, what if that artist just decided not to make it? If they were like, ah, nobody's gonna like this. What if, you know, what if the Wachowskis never made the Matrix? Or whatever, all these things that I love so much, right? What if Dave Chappelle never did stand-up? And he was like, nah, nobody's gonna think I'm funny. Like, I would be missing so much joy in my life from my favorite artist, right? So what if you never make your movie, or your book, or your song, or your whatever? Don't rob the world of your gifts. Find people that can help you materialize.
0: I am here for you. Come through. That was so great!
1: That was solid.
0: Ah!